Okay, Beruchim Abayim, welcome everyone. We're continuing our study of Simcha. We're in class number 87. We are giving today's class Lailui Nishmat Ora Bat Victoria Ruach Adonai Tanihena Beganaiden. Amen. Last week we spoke about the words in the Amidah Velohe Avotenu. We spoke how essential it is for us to become a link in the chain of Am Yisrael. Today we're going to be more focused on what exactly does that entail. Am I a link? Am I not a link? How strong is my link? Because like we explained last week, the stronger the link is, the stronger we're going to be the greater our homes are going to be, the greater our future are going to be, our children are going to be. Everything will change if our link is strong. So today's class is going to be focused on exactly what does it mean to have a strong link. I don't want to just sound flowery that, oh wow, I'm a link in this great chain. It sounds beautiful. But in reality... There's an action that comes with being a link. So we have to know what that is. There is a Midrash, a Midrash in Mishle that says as follows. Amar Bishmon Bar Yochai. He says, Imraita Minhag. If you saw a custom, She'asu Avotenu that our fathers did. Al teshane oto, do not change it. And he gives an example. Kegon. Abraham tiken tefilat ashahar. Like the Gemara says in Masechet Berachot, Abraham instituted the prayer of Shahrit. Yitzhak tefilat minha. Yitzhak was the one who instituted minha. And Yaakov instituted arbit. Continues Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and says, Shelo Tomar, do not say. Af ani osif aheret. Let me add a prayer of my own. Notice the example that he's giving isn't a person who's saying, I want to do away with what my fathers did, or I want to go against what my fathers did. The opposite. He loves what his fathers did, and he wants to do more. He says, let me go and add another prayer. Let's add a midnight prayer. Sounds good. They have one in the morning, between Arbit, especially in the winter, till the next morning is a very long time. You could pray Arbit at 4.30, and you have Shahrit 6, 7 o'clock. That's many hours. Let's make a midnight prayer during the winter at least. Sounds like a great idea. Says Rabbi Shumar Yochai, be careful. Don't add things that your fathers didn't do. Talmud Lomar Asher Asu Avotecha. The Pasuk in Mishleh says, Al Taseg Gevul Olam. Do not push the boundary. Gevul Olam means the eternal boundary. Who made these eternal boundaries? Asher asu avotecha. When your fathers do something, 
Don't push the boundary. Don't do your own thing when you have a precedence to follow. And in truth, if we open our eyes and ears really well, the same Torah, the same Torah that we study and we've been studying for so many years, constantly is screaming this fundamental principle of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. We just have to keep our ears open to hear what it's saying. We just read in Parashat Toledot, the Pasuk says, describing the Be'erot, the wells of Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu, one of the things he did in his life is he dug up wells. Why is he so excited about digging wells? So some explain that the wells were used as a way to educate people. As you can imagine, in those days they didn't have faucets, they didn't have water running in their homes. So they needed a source of water. If someone would dig a well close to their residence, that would be a tremendous kindness. Abraham didn't just have a tent for people who were lost traveling. He had other forms of kindness. He dug up wells for people to come fill up water from. But it didn't end by the kindness. It didn't just, he didn't just get them to fill up water. They would realize that it was Abraham who dug up the well for them. And they, they would thank him. And Abraham would go into, wait, don't thank me. You got to thank the host. And they would say, who's the host? You dug, you're the ones who dug it. He says, no, no, I didn't make the water. And then he would start teaching them. The wells that Abraham dug were like shi'urim that he prepared for people to come, fill up water, and learn. That was Abraham's life. He was making people. That was his business. He used his money. He used his wealth. He used a lot of gifts that God gave him physically to be able to educate people and help them to better their lives. So the Pasuk says that all the wells that they dug in the days of Avraham Avinu, Sitemun Pelishtim. Pelishtim were not so happy with Avraham's work. They went ahead and they filled them back up with dirt that nobody would be able to benefit from them. They didn't want that people should go to the well, to the wellsprings of Avraham and get his Torah and his education. So they went ahead and filled them up with dirt so nobody would fill up water. The Pasuk says, Vayashov Yitzhak. And Yitzhak went back. Vayahpor et be'erot hamayim. He too had a mission like Abraham. Hazal tells us that Yitzhak was very much similar to Abraham, not only in looks, but in the way he lived his life. So he also went back. And he dug also wells. Which wells did he dig? The Pasuk says, Asher haferu bime Avraham aviv. The same wells that his father dug, he also dug. And not only that, Vayikra lahen shemot. He gave them names. They would give a well a name. 
What names did Yitzhak give to the wells that he dug? Pasuk says, Kashemot, Asher Kara Lahen Aviv. He made sure to name them, each one. He did his research. He, you know, the wells are all over the place. I'm not sure how he knew which one is called what. But he did the work and made sure that each well was given the exact same name that his father gave. We may look at that and say, what, what's so important about a name of a well? What's the difference? Name it anything you want. What does it matter? This is not a religious item. This is not about how you serve God. It's the name of a well. Does it really matter? But you see, as Rabbeinu Bahia points out, you see that the Torah writes it. It's not only that Yitzhak found it important, but the Torah found it important. Torah doesn't like to say anything extra or unnecessary. But it tells us this important factor that he not only dug up the wells, the same ones, but he gave them the same names. Because Yitzhak understood already from 3,600 years ago, our nation had this way about them that they held very tight to what was given to them from the great people before them. This is not something that we're talking about now in the year 2000 that we need to hold on to our history. It's very important. Everybody is talking about their history. Our people from its inception understood that if you want a great future, you have to hold on tight to your past. And even if it's wells, and even if it's a name, you find out what they did, and if you have a precedence, that's what you do. Don't do your own thing. Follow what they did before you. We see another example by Yitzhak Avinu. Really, there are endless examples. But I'm going to give you just a few through Tanakh. It says that there was a famine in the land. In the days of Yitzhak Avinu. And the Torah says, which famine was this? Meaning not the same famine, aside from the famine that they had in the days of Abraham. And the Pasuk says, Yitzhak went, El Avimelech Melech Pelishtim, he went over there to be able to get some food. Vayera Elav Adonai, Hashem appeared to him. Look what he told him. Vayomer, Al Tered Mitzrayma, do not go down to Egypt. Shechon Ba'aretz, stay here in the land, Asher Omar Elecha. Why did Hashem have to tell him, don't go down to Egypt? Where does it say that he was going down to Egypt? It's not like the Pasuk says he was on his way to Egypt. God told him, don't go to Egypt. Nowhere is it mentioned that he's going to Egypt. But yet Hashem says, Torah points out, Hashem appears to him, a special appearance, don't go to Egypt. 
says the Ramban, Kimat Sorech Lehaskirze. What is the Pasuk coming to tell me the Ra'av in the days of Abraham? This is a different kind of, this was a different famine. He says, because the famine that happened in the days of Abraham, says the Ramban, they still spoke about it. How Abraham, because of that famine, left to Mitzrayim. Which means it was a known thing that when there was a famine in the days of Abraham, what did Abraham do? He went to Mitzrayim. He could have went to other places. But he chose to go to Mitzrayim. V'sham asalo Hashem kavod gadol. He had tremendous honor over there. V'lachen... The obvious step that the Torah doesn't even have to say it. The obvious move that Yitzhak would do when he had a famine, just like the famine in the days of Abraham, is that he would do exactly what Abraham did. Abraham went to Egypt, he would go to Egypt. That wasn't even necessary to write. He's not going to Babel. He's not going to Aram. He's not going anywhere else. He could have gone elsewhere. He was going to Egypt. And if you would interview Yitzhak and say, why are you going to Egypt? Why don't you go somewhere else? He would tell you, that's where my father went. In the same situation, I looked and saw that my father did this. My father's a great man. Maybe not every father that we have is someone we have to follow. But they are clear great people in our chain. And the first reliable one is someone that you ask, what did they do? Abraham was a very reliable man. Yitzhak says, if my father did it, then that's where I'm going. God told him, don't go. You cannot go. Your father went, you can't go. By the way, why couldn't he go? The Midrash says, Hashem told him, because you were born in Eretz Israel, your father was born outside of Eretz Israel, you were born here, ve'ata ola tehora. You are like a korban. You know, a korban that's brought on the Mizbeah has specific laws of where it can be eaten. You can't eat a korban, bring it back home to uh, Tel Aviv to eat it. Korban has limitations. It can only be eaten in a holy place. In, in a certain, some only in the Beit HaMikdash, some only in Yerushalayim. Like the korban Pesach, for example, has to be eaten in Yerushalayim. You can't eat it any way you like. Hashem told Yitzhak, you must stay in the holy land. You cannot leave. You're like a korban, even though he wasn't slaughtered, but he was ready and primed. So you can't leave. Okay, there are exceptions, but there has to be clear indications that you're different. If Unless you know otherwise, then you're the same. God told him, you're different. There can be differences, but you have to get that information from someone reliable. When Yaakov Avinu goes to get married... Famous words of David Melech in Tehillim says the Midrash are actually the words of Yaakov Avinu. 
Shir Lamaalot. Lamaalot doesn't only mean the steps like all the other Shir Lamaalots. There are 15 Shir Lamaalots. All of them say Shir Hamaalot. It's the song of the steps. When they stood on the steps in the Beit HaMikdash, the Leviim would stand there and they would sing. So they wrote them 15 songs, one for each step. Shir Hamaalot. There's only one that says Shir Lamaalot. Lamaalot really means the same thing. But for some reason it's given a Lamed instead of a He. It's the song for the steps. So some explain that this song, besides that it was sung on the steps, but it's also Shir Lamaalot. It's a song for elevation. If you want to elevate your life, study this song. This song, this song, if you understand its message and you live by its message, you will elevate ma'alot. You will raise your life in every area. Shir la ma'alot. Who said shir la ma'alot? Says the Midrash, Yaakov Avinu said shir la ma'alot. So I guess David took it from Yaakov's books. When did Yaakov say shir la ma'alot? Says the Midrash when he was going to Lavan. He was going to find a bride. How do you find a bride? How do you get married? That's a, that's a question. How does everybody do that? Well, we just figure it out. We have our own system. Each one's got their own way of figuring out how they're going to find their Ezer Kenegdo, their wife. Look around the world and you'll see all different ways. Some of them make a little sense. Some don't make sense at all. Some people, they feel that getting drunk and being in a dark room with loud music is a great way to meet somebody. You really get to know the person that way. That's one way of doing it. Doesn't seem to be so logical, but I guess that's one of the ways. And there are many different ways that humanity has figured out of how they're going to meet the right person. Yaakov says, Esa enai el heharim. He says, when I'm going to find a wife, the first thing I do is I raise my eyes to the mountains. Says the Midrash, what mountains? Why would you raise your eyes to the mountains? The mountains aren't going to help you. So says the Midrash, the mountains are the mountains in Yaakov Avinu's life. His mountains are his parents. Says the Midrash, not Harim, Horim. Horim means, let me study my teachers. Let me study how Abraham found a wife for my father Yitzhak. I have a precedence. I don't have to live blindly. I have direction. From a great man. Let me turn my eyes to my teachers. I don't do things on my own if I have someone who did it before me. I don't make my own system just because that's what the people around me do. It doesn't matter what they do. I need a reliable source. That was his first thought. How am I going to find a wife? I'm sure he had many ideas. But he didn't want his own ideas if he can get 
from his fathers, his teachers. And by the way, the way that they did it, he couldn't do it. Because as he speaks, the Midrash says, he says, I can't do it like them. My father came, Eliezer came with camels full of wealth. He had gold, he had money. I'm coming with nothing. Eliphaz took all his money, he had nothing. So I want to follow exactly what my father did, but you know what? I, I don't have the help that he had. And now I feel lost. Yaakov felt lost because he didn't have a teacher in his situation to be able to help him. The way they did it is not the way that he could do it. So, he figured out Hashem is going to help me. Sometimes it's possible. The Midrash didn't say this. I'm saying this. Sometimes it's possible where a person really works to find out what grandpa did, what grandma did, what my rabbi did, what my great rabbi, -rabbi, what Moshe Rabbeinu did. And sometimes you may look and look and look and look in your situation. There isn't a clear... There isn't a clear example. At that point, Hashem will help you find the right way. But you got to start first. You can't just start with you. You got to start learning about the people before you. The people before us had a lot of chokhmah all the way to Abraham. How many great people in each family tree, each one of our families in that beautiful chain how many people were very reliable again I can't say every person was reliable through the days of exile we find ourselves sometimes in places where people get lost they don't have education they don't know where they are even to be able to learn and understand and they somewhat disconnect I can't say everybody on my family link is reliable but Everybody here has plenty of reliable people before them. Either directly, either your father, your mother, grandma, grandpa, great-grandma, great-grandpa. Maybe it's your rabbi, maybe it's his rabbi, maybe it's... We have books, we have unbelievable... We have, we have shas, we have... The Talmud is full of information about so many things. So many stories about so many subjects, so many halachot, endless midrashim, full of information. So if you look hard enough, probably you're going to find some example of your situation and then you adapt it to your life. And sometimes maybe you'll find something. But at that point, me'ayin yavoyezri, if you can't find anybody to help you in your situation because it's so unique that nobody ever was in such a predicament, so then Hashem. Hashem will help you figure it out because you did your due diligence. But don't start your life. Don't live your life by making decisions as if nobody came before you. A, it's disrespectful to your teachers. It's disrespectful to your history. When you don't ask what grandma did, it means you don't respect grandma. That's what it means. Because how could you not ask what your grandma did? 
How could that not be one of the important questions? Again, if she's not reliable, what a great grandmother. Somebody's got to be reliable. It's a lack of respect, but that we'll talk about next week. But forget respect. For your own good, why are you not consulting the great people before you? This is the derech of Am Yisrael. I'm about to do something in my life. I have a new chapter. I have a new day. I have a new situation. I'm raising a child. My child's getting married. They're about to get married. They already got married. How do I handle married children? How do I deal with difficult in-laws? How do I difficult with... There is chokhmah in every area of life. We see by Yaakov Avinu, the same again, you see how they live their life. It's an unbelievable, no nation in the world has such a regard for following exactly what the generation before them did. By the way, when you learn Gemara and Talmud, you realize that's the way they spoke. The whole Talmud is full of questioning. Where did you get that from? Who told you? Oh, you thought he said that? That's not what he meant. You misunderstood him. And I'll prove it to you because over there he said something else. The whole Talmud is a fight. It's a war. Learning Gemara is a regular war. It's a milhama. It's called milhamta shel Torah. That's what it's called. When you see, if people told you they came from learning Gemara, not listening, if they came from learning Gemara, that means they were in a war for an hour or two. But what are they fighting about? They were fighting about, so what really happened? What did he really say? What's the right thing to do? What does Hashem really want in that situation? And God forbid someone opens their mouth in the Talmud and they don't have a good source. They will be destroyed. They will kill them. They will do all kinds of words that are sometimes a little tough even. If a person speaks who's not in line, that's what we do when we learn. We're fighting for one thing. We want to know, what do the Horim say? What do our teachers say? We got this from Yitzhak Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, we just gave an example. Here's another example. This is an awesome example. Yaakov Avinu is mourning 22 years for his son. In our, our world today, we could a little appreciate what that means. Your son's away for a month and it's, you're dying. He's away 22 years and he can't get over it. His most prized possession, Yosef. 22 years, he can't get over it. And finally, his children come home from Egypt. And the most amazing news, something really unbelievable. Pasuk says they came home and they told him, Od Yosef hi. Can't believe it. Yosef is alive. Not only is he alive, you know, if he was that's enough, by the way. If he was alive in a dungeon, half alive somewhere, that would have been also good news. He's not just alive. Vechihu Moshel Bechol Eretz Misraim. 
He is the leader of Egypt, which in those days means he was the leader of the world. The most powerful man in the world is Yosan Yosef. And, and what was his reaction? Vayafoglibo. His heart stopped. Kilo he'emin lahem. He couldn't believe what they were saying. Could you blame him? Could not believe. He was shocked. And they had to convince him that this is emet. He saw the agalot that Yosef sent. That was a sign. Hazal tell us because he was learning a subject about aigla arufa. So that was Yosef's sign of he knew his father wouldn't believe it. He sent him a siman. This is the last uh, gemara we were learning. We were learning together this subject. Vayaret ha'agalot asher shalach Yosef. Vatehi ruach Yaakov Avihem. His ruach came alive. Who could imagine a moment like that? Who could imagine the feeling? So Yosef sends agalot to bring him to Egypt to visit. I guess Yosef couldn't leave Egypt. What would you do if your son, 22 years, you thought maybe he's dead, maybe not, and now you find out this news, what would you do? Catch the first flight. Even Shabbat, you might think about it. You might say, you know what? That doesn't matter. Sure, bad. I got to do it. God forbid. I'm just saying. Those thoughts could enter your mind. Sometimes when something is very urgent, people don't realize. Shabbat. You know, Shabbat can't be broken for everything. Sometimes people don't realize that. Of course, if someone is sick and they need help, you break Shabbat. But for other things, not so simple. But you could imagine the feeling of Yaakov. And the Pasuk says, Vayisa Yisrael. And Yaakov traveled with all that's with him. He went to Be'er Sheva on his way. And he brought korbanot to Hashem. So simply, when I saw that, I say, oh, he wants to thank Hashem. But maybe there was a little more than thanking Hashem. Because the next Pasuk says, Vayomer Elohim le Yisrael. Hashem came to Yisrael, to Yaakov. Oh, excuse me, I, I skipped one line. Vayizbah zevahim, and he sacrificed Lelohe Abiv Yitzhak to the God of his father Yitzhak. Does that have to do with anything? God is God. He's the father of everybody. Why does he mention he, he sacrificed to the God of his father, Yitzhak? Next pasuk. Vayomer Elohim le-Yisrael bemarot halayla. Hashem came to Yaakov that night. And he said to him, Yaakov, Yaakov. 
He called him in that special loving way by repeating his name twice. Yaakov, Yaakov. He says, here I am. Listen to these words. Vayomer, Hashem says to him, Anochi ha'el Elohe avicha. I am the God of your father, the one that you sacrificed to the God of your father, Yitzhak. That's me. Altira mereda Don't be afraid to go to Egypt. Why was he afraid to go to Egypt? Who said he was afraid to go to Egypt? And why is he afraid to go to Egypt? His son is the most powerful man in Egypt. Why would you be afraid to go to a place like that? He brought a sacrifice to the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzhak, his father. Hashem says, I'm the God of Yitzhak. Don't be afraid to go to Egypt. You know why he's afraid to go to Egypt? Because his father didn't go to Egypt. Hashem told his father, don't go to Egypt. So he's on his way, but he's really very nervous. He's bringing sacrifices to the God of his father, Yitzhak. He says, how, how am I doing this? We wouldn't think even for a second. Not a question. We have to go see out the sun. But Yaakov is, he's afraid that he's about to do something that his father was told not to do. He feels like he needs to go, but he's afraid. He's, he's bringing korbanot. I mean, his father wasn't in his exact position, so it's not the same, but he didn't know. He knew his father couldn't go to Egypt. Maybe his situation is different. Maybe. Maybe not. He was nervous. He brought, Hashem, please answer me. He's bringing a korban. Hashem, please help me. I don't know what to do. I have no fatherly teaching in this one. Hashem says to him, You do your best to know what your father did? You do your best to know what Moshe Rabbeinu did? Hashem will help you. Hashem says to him, Don't worry, don't be afraid. You can go. You need to go. The birth of our nation was from Egypt. Hashem says, you got to go there. You're not like your father. But again, look at the Look at the trepidation of making such an obvious decision full of emotion and love and excitement. But my father didn't do that. Am I sure I should do that? Look at the Mialedot, the great midwives who saved our nation in Egypt. When Paro told them, Whenever you're helping the Jewish woman give birth, if you see it's a boy, kill him. The Pasuk says, listen to this introduction. It doesn't say that they saved the children. There's a little introduction before they saved the children. We all know they saved the children. But the Pasuk doesn't say that. It says, Vatirena ham yaledot et ha Elohim, 
these midwives, they had fear of Hashem, of God. asu, And therefore they didn't do like the king of Egypt told them. And they made sure to keep them alive. The Midrash is bothered by this introduction of and they feared God. Just tell us what they did. Just say they kept them alive. What's this introduction? And they feared Elohim and they saved the children. Says the Midrash, listen to this beautiful Midrash. They adorned themselves, they beautified themselves. Not physical beauty, but they beautified themselves by following their grandpa. That means when you follow your grandpa, that is the beautiful makeup you have on your soul. They beautified themselves. By looking to their grandpa. What is talking about? Ze Avraham. They're looking to do, they're looking to find out what should I do in this situation? I have these children, I'm supposed to kill them. What should I do? Says the Midrash. You know who is a person that Hashem described as? Yere Elohim, someone who feared Elohim. Avraham, by the Akedah, Hashem says, Ata Yadati, now I know, Ki Yere Elohim Ata. You are a Yere Elohim. Says the Midrash, Vatirena Ham Yaledot et Ha Elohim. They looked to the man who had Yirat Elohim, and they said, Avraham Avinu, Allah Vashalom, Patahlo Pundak, he opened a hotel, not for business, who would, who would dream, in your wildest dream, could you imagine, opening your home, to be a hotel, not to invite, a great rabbi to your house, Friday night, that's also nice, but not, not that kind. Not to have somebody who's stranded from Israel for a couple of days. That's also nice. But did you ever imagine that your home would be open as a hotel and not for profit? That your home would be a place for all people to come visit whenever they're traveling? That's, you have to be insane. If someone did that today, I think we would say they're insane. What are they doing? Are they crazy? How are they going to live their life? What does that mean? You opened your home to the streets. So they said, they realized this. They said, our father, our grandpa, Allah Shalom, he opened a hotel and he fed, he serviced all travelers. Bene Adam Arelim, doesn't matter who you are. You were from the family, not from the family. You're idol worshippers. Doesn't make a difference. They all came in. 
So even Goyim, he opened a hotel for them. Va'anu lo dayenu she'en lanu leha'achilan ela laharogotam. He says, our grandpa fed the poor, fed the hungry, for no money. He went out of his way to help people. We're going to kill people? Is that the way we're supposed to live our life? If we come from this man? Is that what he taught us? He risked his life. He gave up the normal pleasures that people live with. So he could feed hungry people. We're going to go and kill somebody? We are going to make sure. The same way he sacrificed to feed, we're going to sacrifice at least to keep them alive. So here you go. A beautiful story that we all know about. We just thought that the midwives thought, well, of course, you have to save someone's life. You can't kill them. But even there, there was thought involved. When someone tells you to kill somebody, so they're thinking, wait, hold on. What would grandpa do? Kishetu atzman. They beautified their souls by recalling Avraham Avinu. That's why it says in the Pasuk, Vatirena ham yaledot eta Elohim. They went to follow the one who was Yere Elohim. They wanted to look like that Yere Elohim. And they said, we're going to do what he would have done. And this is for sure what he would have done. Moshe Rabbeinu, at the end of his life, just a few days before he passed away, he gives the Jewish people some rebuke that we find in the beginning of Sefer Devarim. He rebukes them about certain things that they did during the time he was with them. Hazal asked right away, why did he wait 40 years to rebuke them? Usually someone does something wrong, right away you tell them. If you're smart, you wait a few hours till you stop. The anger gets calm. But what day, two days? Moshe waits 40 years to rebuke the Jewish people? <coughs> Look at the words of the Midrash. Just those, these, these two words are going to be beautiful words by themselves. It says the Midrash, Mimilamad. Who did he learn this from? If Moshe Rabbeinu waits 40 years to rebuke, where did he learn that from? Mimilamad. Miyakov. He learned from Grandpa. Yaakov. Yaakov did not rebuke his children until right before his death. When it says, Vayikra Yaakov el Banav, Yaakov called his sons and he gave them, and like we see in, in Parashat Vayi, he tells them, Reuben, Bechoriata, Reuben, you're my firstborn, but you messed, you messed up. You did something wrong years ago. You lost your status of leadership. 
And if you wonder, why didn't I rebuke you all these years? How come I didn't tell you something before? He said, I was afraid you'd be upset. And you'd leave me and you'd start connecting to Isav. Isav would smile at you and bring you in, entice you. I'm afraid that you would have gotten a little bit hurt from me. So I didn't give you the rebuke. So I'm waiting till the end. Who did Moshe learn that he rebuked the Jewish people right before his death? From Yaakov. Moshe Rabbeinu we're talking about. The greatest man that ever lived. Mimi Lamad. Who did he learn from? He's saying Moshe Rabbeinu is not a reliable source for himself. Isn't Moshe Rabbeinu Adon Lechol Nevi'im? He is the master of all prophets. Moshe is Ro'e Ne'eman. But what was the question of the Midrash? Mimi Lamad. What does that mean, Mimi Lamad? But again, even Moshe Rabbeinu understood Velohe Avotenu. Even Moshe Rabbeinu understood this is the Kawah of Am Yisrael. We ask and we learn from those before us. The famous story of Mordechai and Esther. When Mordechai was sitting by the gate of the king and he heard It was known to him. It was known to him that there were these two men, Bigtan Vateresh, that they wanted to poison the king. And the Pasuk says, He told Esther, and Esther told the king. And they found out that it was true. And we know the rest of the story. It's a very nice story. Mordechai knew what they were planning to do. So he told the king. Simple. No, says the Midrash, and not so simple. Says the Midrash, who told Mordechai that he needs to save Ahasuerus' life? I mean, Ahasuerus is not a big tzaddik. He's not a great man. You saw in the Megillah, he went along with Haman, Hazal tell us he hated Am Yisrael, no less than Haman. So now someone's planning to kill the king. Why do you have to open your mouth? Who says you should go and tell him? That's what Mirash says. Ze arel vehas alav. What, Mordechai is going to save the life of this Ahashverosh? Says the Midrash that Mordechai says, et punam. I have to learn from my elders. Amar, he says, Yaakov berach et Paro. Look at Yaakov, how he blessed Paro. Paro wasn't a big tzaddik, but he blessed them. Look how they dealt with royalty. Yosef gilalo. Yosef helped Paro. He revealed to him. He helped him in making Egypt the most wealthy nation, most powerful nation, by revealing the dream to him. He didn't have to tell him. He told him. Daniel, Gila le Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was not a friend of the Jewish people. 
But yet Daniel had respect for the king. And he revealed to him information. Says Mordechai, Af aniken. If that's the way they dealt with the melech, that's how I deal with the melech. I too am going to save his life. I too am going to reveal what I know about the king. So a simple story that we've learned for so many years. But it didn't just come where Mordechai decided, okay, let me just go tell the king. There was a question. What am I doing here? Should I save Ahasuerus' life? Is that my job here? Or maybe just let him go. Who cares? And he's studying. He's studying this one. He's studying that one. And he concluded, I need to save his life. This week's parasha by Yishlah Yaakov Malachim talks about the meeting of Yaakov and Aesav. How he prepared for war. How he dealt with him. How Aesav wanted to travel with him. And Yaakov says, I'm sorry, I can't travel with you. How he bowed to Aesav. How he respected him. He gave him gifts. But he knew his boundaries. How Yaakov was afraid. Miyad Ahi, Miyad Aesav. He was afraid of his brother Aesav. Or his enemy Aesav. How he dealt with him. The Midrash says that Rabenu HaKadosh was a very powerful man. And he had to deal with the Romans and their powerful empire. So the Midrash says that whenever he would go to have a meeting with the royalty, he would first study this parasha by Yishlah Yaakov. He would study it so that he would make sure that he protects himself and makes all the right decisions. How to deal with the Goy, how to deal with Aisav. What's the right steps? What's the wrong steps? Today you see people doing anything they like. Something happens, they go do it. Whatever it might be, you have to know there is a precedence. You don't just do things. Even if it seems like the most logical thing. Even if you feel emotionally attached. Even if it feels like, what else am I supposed to do? Even if everybody's doing it, it doesn't matter. What did your grandpa do? Could you find somewhere in your history a precedence for that situation? How do you deal with Aisav? You know how many times in life we have to deal with Aisav? How do you deal with him? Do you march against anti-Semitism? You don't march. It's a question. It's not a simple question. Don't think these things are obvious. They're not obvious. And even if you do march, how do you march? How do you speak? What's the message that you give over? Don't get excited by what everybody's doing. Unless they're doing something that the Horim did. Before we do something, we have to learn first. Is this the right thing to do? Is that what grandpa did? Is that what our ancestors taught us? You have to be very careful in every step that we take. Not only internally. But especially externally. Especially when we're dealing with Aisav. How? How to talk to him? Do we talk tough to him? Do we talk with humility to him? These are all questions. Rabenu Akadosh, the great Rabenu Akadosh, every time he would go 
to meet with them, he would study the parasha to make sure he doesn't make mistakes. And the Midrash says one time he didn't study the parasha and he made a mistake. <coughs> the Ramhal writes, the great Ramhal, the author of the Mesilat Yesharim, writes in a little book that he has called Derech Aitz Hayim, The Way of the Tree of Life. It's a little book in the back. Some of the Mesilat Yesharim have it in the back. He says, look at these words. Zot he, he says, I'm about to give you. This is, he says, haterufa, the medicine. Who doesn't need medicine today? But not medicine from physical pain. Medicine from all other issues. Medicine from marriage issues. Medicine from children issues. Medicine from anxiety issues. Medicine from all types. There's no end. There's no end to the issues. Says the says the Ramhal. Zoti haterufa. This is the medicine. Hayoter gedola. It is the biggest one. Vehazaka and the strongest one. Shetuchal lehamtsi that you're gonna find. Neged hayetzer who's looking to destroy us. He says, Vehikala. Very easy. Nice. With an introduction like that, you thought it's going to be something very hard, something very damaging, something that's going to knock out your white blood cells. What, 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 what is that? What's this medicine? What are you going to do? He says, Hikala. It's very easy. Upeulatagedola. It's going to have a lot of good results. Upiriyarav. And has many good fruits. Sometimes in life you get good results, but the fruits aren't so good. The moment is great, then you pay later on. You make decisions in life, but the moment it looks like you're rolling, only five years later to realize you ruined your children, you ruined your family. It looked great at the time, you looked like you're on top of the world. Periyarav means it has great fruits too. What is this medicine? That's so powerful and so easy. He says, Sheya'amod ha'adam bechol yom lefahot sha'a'ahat. He's every day dedicate one hour. I don't think you have an hour, but get the idea. One hour a day, he says, panui, that you should have your mind free. Try to have your mind free for a minute. See if you could do it in today's world. But it used to be people could actually have their mind free for an hour. He says your mind should be panui. Don't think about anything else. Only focus on the following subject for one hour a day. So let's just be realistic. An hour a day is not happening. But how about five minutes a day? Five minutes a day. Okay? What is it that you should spend during these five minutes? Maybe in the morning when you wake up, maybe when you go to sleep. Five, maybe in the afternoon. Five minutes a day. Maybe when you're traveling on the road. He says, Vebakesh Bilbago. He should demand of his mind. You should demand of your mind. Demand what? 
מה עשו הראשונים אבות העולם? What did the great people before us do? That Hashem loved them so much. מה עשה משה רבנו עליו השלום? Study what he did. מה עשה דוד? What did David do? וכל הגדולים אשר היו לפנינו. All the great people that preceded us. ויעלה בשכלו. Bring that up to your mind. מה טוב לאדם כל ימי חייו לעשות כן, גם הוא וטוב לו. I don't know how realistic this is for us on a daily basis. But the point is, if you want an easy solution to life's problems, before you do something, you learn, you ask. Anything. Even the things that you think are so obvious and so simple. And think again. Before you do something, before you get married, ask how. You're married, ask how. You're having a child, ask how. Anything and everything. Education, how? Five years old, ten years old, how? Vacation, how? It's a question. Don't think vacation is a simple question. Vacation has destroyed more kids than you can imagine. It doesn't feel that way. But it is that way. Ask. Ask how people before you went to give yourself a relaxed time. Everything you do, everything. It may sound very taxing. It's not. It's very beautiful. It's living your life with direction, with GPS. Could you imagine driving in a foreign country and you have no GPS? And you have no map? Mm -hmm. Do you understand how painful that is? Isn't that how people live life in this world today? They're on the planet. They have no GPS. They have no idea what they're doing. Their whole life is experiment after experiment. The essential part of a Jew is Elohe Avotenu. We have a GPS. We have a system. We have great people. Says, says the Ramchal, spend every day a few minutes to understand what they did that you can follow suit. Because tov law is good for you. We're not telling you this so you could do mitzvot. We're telling you so you could help yourself. Instead of being lost in life, instead of suffering the consequences, get a head start. Do it right. All over. Hazal tell us, for example, what do you do when you have yisurin? God forbid. A difficult day, a difficult situation. That too we have teachers. What to do? The Midrash says, Abraham Avinu, Hashem promised him, Lech Lecha, go. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this land. What happened? He left. First thing that happens to him, famine. What kind of land is this? 
you told me, go, I'm going to bless you in this beautiful land. It's going to be great. First thing that happens. Could you imagine you passed the, the test of Lech Lecha. You did what Hashem told you. And you're waiting to all the berachah that He promised you. And all of a sudden, it's a famine. You know what a famine is? We don't know what a famine is. We never even dreamt what a famine is. A famine is when you go into your refrigerator and there's no food. A famine is there's nowhere to shop for food because everyone's out. There's nothing to eat. That's what Abraham encountered in this promised land that God told him. El ha'aretz asher eka. So what did Abraham do? Says the Midrash. He says he, he didn't complain. Oh, says the Midrash. That's your model in life. That when things don't go as you thought, don't complain. Figure out what you need to do. Figure out what you can learn from it. Like the Pasuk says in Tehillim, Ashrei HaGeber, Asher Teyaserenu Ya. Fortunate is the man that you send him Yisurin, that you wake him up sometimes. Umitoratecha Telamedenu. So you could teach him guidance in his life. There was a man who was driving. All of a sudden, he gets hit by rocks coming from the side. A brand new car, and rocks are hitting his car. Breaks his window. He stops the car, he's so upset. He looks, he sees this little kid throwing rocks at his car. He goes over to the kid. He says, why are you doing that? Why would you throw rocks at my brand new car? What is wrong with you? He says, I'm sorry. He says, my older brother is on the side of the street over there, lying in pain. He's hurt. I tried to get people's attention to stop, but nobody stopped. So I thought maybe if I throw the rock, somebody will stop. He looks at his brother he needs care, immediate care. He runs over to him and he helps him. That's how life is sometimes. When our car is driving and Hashem talks to us, we don't hear. No one listens. Hashem says, Rohi, I'm telling you, don't do this. We don't care. We should keep going. There's a red light. We could, it's green for us. He says, stop, we go. He says, go, we stop. And once in a while, he throws a rock. He says, hey, what are you, why are you doing that? Why are you throwing the rock at me? Because I can't get your attention. That's what David Amir says. Ashrei ha-gever asher teyaserenu ya. Fortunate is the man who you care enough that you threw a rock at his car. Umitoratecha telamedenu. Rocks don't have to be, God forbid, diseases. Anything that goes wrong during your day could be a rock. If you're up and away. So what do you do when it says the Midrash? So what do you do when there's a, an expectation in your life that disappoints you? What do you do? Oh, well, what did Abraham do? He got very disappointed. He didn't say a word. He understood better. That's what I do. I learn from him. Gemara says, 
in Masechet Ketubot. Very beautiful story, very famous story. I didn't come to teach you the story, but I have to say it anyway. The story is of a great man by the name of Mor Okba. Mor Okba, the Gemara says, he had a poor person in his neighborhood. And Mor Okba wanted to help him. He was so poor, he had no food. And Mor Okba knew that if the man would know that Mor Okba knows that he has no money, and he's giving him money, he would be so embarrassed. It would hurt him maybe more than the food that he's missing. So he made a plan that he would go in a certain time, he would sneak in, and he would throw in an envelope of some of his earnings for the day and throw under the door. So this man would not know where it came from. And this kept happening day after day, and finally the man wants to know, who is this person that's leaving money by my door every day? So one day he stays home from work, or whatever it is, and he's waiting, waiting by the door to see when the man will come. Happens to be that day, Morogba was walking with his wife to the Bet Midrash. She was dropping him off. And he's like, well, I gotta drop the money by this guy. And he goes, gets close to the door, and the man hears him, and he starts to open the door. Morogba realizes the man is there. He wants to see who this guy is, but Morogba knows that if he sees him, he's going to be so embarrassed. So he tells his wife, run! And they're running, just imagine, the chief rabbi and his wife, just imagine, <laughs> running through the streets of the city, running, and the guy is chasing them half a block away, He's running after them, and they're running, and they can't escape the guy. And finally, the Gemara says they found a spot where there was an oven, a very hot oven. The fire was off, but it was very hot. And that was the only spot that they could hide and that he wouldn't find them. Tells Morogba to his wife, let's go. They jump into the hot oven. And the man never saw them. Just as an interesting part of the story, the Gemara says, that Morogba's feet, they got a little burnt but not his wife's feet. It's interesting. Gemara says, because her kindness to the guests was direct. He gave money, and then they had to take the money and go shop and go buy and go do. But her kindness was straight to the mouth. So she got extra protection from her chesed. Just to show you how far kindness goes. Anyway, what an unbelievable story. He didn't want to, he didn't want to embarrass the guy. So he was willing to jump in a fire, basically. The Gemara says, My Kulehai. You hear this question? My Kulehai means, what is this all about? What is this man doing? We would say, wow, that's our hero. What do you mean, what is he doing? He's doing great things. He didn't want to embarrass somebody, so he jumped in a fire. Gemara says, wait, what is this? What are you doing? You can't jump in fires. You're not allowed to jump in fires. You can't just hurt yourself. What is he doing? See how different we are than how Hazal think? We get excited by heroic acts. But the first thing Hazal asks is before we get excited is, was that the right thing to do? 
Where'd you get that from? Who told you you're supposed to jump in the fire and not embarrass somebody? Says the Gemara, I'll tell you why. He found the precedence. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, Noah la Adam, it is better for a person. To jump in a burning fire. Not to embarrass your friend publicly. Remind that to people who send messages to groups about certain people that they're not so happy about. You have no idea. According to many Rishonim, if someone tells you, either embarrass this person or I will kill you. According to Rishonim, you have to die. You cannot do it. It's one of the cardinal sins. It's included in murder. It's a big deal to embarrass somebody. How big of a deal is it? It's better to jump into a fire. Says the Gemara, and where is that from? Says the Gemara from Tamar. The Gemara wrote it. The Torah wrote it. Tamar. She risked her life. She could have saved herself by telling the truth to the people about Yehuda. She did not. She just hinted it and let Yehuda decide if he wants to own up to his mistake or whatever he did. If, if Yehuda wouldn't own up to it, then they would kill her. That was, they were, they were going to burn her. But she would rather get burnt than embarrass Yehuda. Says the Gemara, ah, we have a precedence. We have a story. Yes, you can put yourself in danger to save, or maybe even should, to save someone from embarrassment. There is a very famous Mishnah in Perke Avot. Perke Avot altogether is a very famous Masechet. It's a beautiful Masechet in Shas. It's one of the Masechetot in Shas. There's Masechet Berachot, there's Masechet Shabbat, there's Masechet Pesachim, there's Masechet Kiddushin, Masechet Gitin, Masechet Baba Kama, Baba Metziah, and there's Masechet Avot. Each Masechet deals with a specific subject. Masechet Avot deals primarily with Derech Eretz. It deals with how a person should behave, how a person should talk, how he should greet another. And many, many aspects of etiquette and behavior. Derech Eretz. How does the Mishnah, the first Mishnah in Pirkei Avot begin? Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. Moshe, he received the Torah from Sinai. Um Sarali Hoshua, and he gave it over to Yoshua. Vi Hoshua la Zekenim, and Yoshua gave it over to the elders. Vezekenim la Nevi'im, and the elders gave the Torah, not the Torah, the Torah that we read from, the, the oral Torah, Torah Shabal Peh. The Torah that we read from, you don't have to give it, it's there already. The elders to the prophets, and the prophets gave it to the Anshe Keneset Hagdola. It gives us basically 
the way the Torah was handed down from one generation to the other. And then it starts talking about the different advice that this Mishnah has for great living. Beautiful, it's a beautiful Masechet. But there's a big question in this Masechet. Why does this Masechet get this introduction? You know, the Masechet Avot, Shas, has six main sections. Each one has many Masechtot. For example, there is the section that deals with Mo'adi, with Mo'ed, Shabbat, Rosh Hashanah, Eruvin, Yom Tov, all different Masechtot dealing with Mo'ed. There is a Masechet that deals with Nashim, all has marriage issues. Getting married, divorce, ketubot. There is a whole section that deals with financial matters, damaging people, what your obligation is to your employees, and so on and so forth. There's six sections. Where is Pirkei Avot? It's in the end of the fourth section, the last Masechet in the fourth section. That means I already finished Zeraim, which Berachot and all that. I finished Mo'ed, all the holidays, all the Shabbat, all the special days. I already finished Nashim. I finished Nezikin. The end of Nezikin, Obviously, this Mishnah that talks about how the Torah was given over should have been the first Mishnah in Shas. It should have been in Masechet Berachot, the first Mishnah. Open up, by the way, how did we get the Torah? And it tells us, this is how it happened. Why would you wait till the end of the fourth section to open up with Moshe Kibel Torah Messinai? And why is it specifically in Perkei Avot, this introduction? The Bartanura and others explain beautifully. That not only halacha you need to learn from your ancestors. When you open Perkei Avot, you might look at it like, oh wow, it's good advice. Ah, they're such smart people. Look how smart they were. Oh, they thought of this idea. Psh, beautiful. They said this to, to always smile. It's great. What an idea you came up with, Hillel. What a great idea, Shammai. Beautiful. You might learn it that way. Because it's etiquette. It's the way we deal with each other. It makes sense. I get it. Says the Mishnah Perkevod, no, no, it's not like that. Even behavior, the way to greet a person, we also have a Torah for that. Moshe Rabbeinu got not only Masechet Shabbat from Shamaim, he got also Masechet Avot from Shamaim. How to talk, how to behave, how to deal, also was given to us. Etiquette is also Torah. So that's why when you come to Perkei Avot, you might think, you know, Masechet Shabbat, you know it comes from Shamaim. Where else are the 39 Melachot coming from? All the other Halachot, of course, are from Shamaim. But when you come to Perkei Avot, say, no, that's, uh, that's values. That's etiquette. That's, uh, you know, how we, how we deal with each other. It's Derech Eretz, that great men decided to think about and how to come up with great ideas. Says the Mishnah, no, no, no. Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. 
even values and the way we deal with each other has a Torah. There is a tradition of how to greet somebody. There's a tradition of how to deal with someone who did this to you or did that to you or didn't invite you. Or There is a tradition. There's a way to deal with it. That's why it says it specifically in this section. Now somebody listening might say, what do you mean? We're not smart enough to make our own values. Aren't we educated enough? Aren't we wise enough to know what's right and wrong to do in any given situation? Do we really need a Torah to tell us to smile to somebody? Do we really need a Torah to tell us to love somebody? Do we really need a Torah to tell us that we should live b'shalom with somebody? Do we really need that? I think there's no time in history that shows clearly how much we need that. Look at the values of society just in the last 50 years, not 100 years, 50 years. And not in Asia compared to America, in America itself. Certain things in America 50 years ago were considered so ridiculously wrong that you couldn't even talk about them. You couldn't even mention them. Killing a fetus, abortion was murder. Today it's tax deduction. You can give a donation to kill children. They tell you you're going to save money by giving money to these people. It's unbelievable. Helping assisted Assisted killing of patients in hospitals? Assisted suicide? Really? Impossible. Save every human life today? Hospitals are guilty daily in literally killing people. Not, this one is not his life. Is it really worth living? How many years is he going to live anyway? What's the quality of life? These are the different hashbonot that are being made by doctors deciding if that person is worth living their life if we make them better. I mean, we have enough people in the world anyway. So it's not like we're, you know, we're not reaching for more people. In China, it was very normal. I mentioned this last week. To kill children. It's too many, there's too many people. There's a billion Chinese. We can't deal with it. So therefore... It was normal, normal. How about modesty, values? 50 years ago, 100 years ago, the way people dressed like today, not even close. What was normal even on television, I hate saying that word, but was even normal on television 50 years ago. 50 years ago, was television was modest. It was like walking through Benebrak. Today you can't even turn it on by mistake. You can't, you can't even watch a game. Not only the way people dress, the way they talk, the way they act, the way they live their life. It's horrible. Things that you wouldn't imagine 50 years ago. What happened to the world? Answer is that you can't rely on people for values because values can go up, they can go down. People get emotional, they get excited, they get into something. Unreliable. We are unreliable. We need Torah Miss Sinai. We got Torah from Sinai, not Torah Besinai. Doesn't say Moshe kibel Torah while he was in Sinai. That's Besinai. Miss Sinai. 
Misirai means from the whole event that Moshe Rabbeinu in front of all of Am Yisrael, Hashem told him, here you are. I am giving you and they should see I'm giving it to you. They don't have to rely on anybody. I'm giving it to you and everyone could see it. They don't have to rely on your information that you go to them and say, listen, I spoke to God. He told me I had a dream. None of that. That's not how religion starts. Everybody is going to see you when I speak to you. I want everyone to listen when I speak to you. Rambam says, that is why Am Yisrael is powerful. Because we have emet, because our emet began with an entire nation witnessing the giving of the Torah. We didn't rely on Moshe Rabbeinu because he was smart or relying on his miracles. We didn't rely on any of that. We relied on truth because we saw it like the Rambam says his beautiful words. Our own eyes saw. Nobody else. Every living Jew at the time was present. They didn't have to hear it from a neighbor or a cousin. They didn't have to hear it from anybody. They saw it themselves. So we have even for behavior, etiquette. We also have a Torah. And it's also from Sinai. That's why when they made the Shas, they waited to put that Mishnah in Perkei Avot. Because there, you might think otherwise. Listen to this story. What a story this is. The Gemara says in Masechet Sanhedrin, that there was a shiur going on. Rabbeinu HaKadosh was giving a shiur. And someone, one of his students, he smelled so bad. He ate, he overdid it with garlic. And the rabbi couldn't teach anymore. He just couldn't go on with the class. It was too much. So he says, whoever ate garlic, please leave. If the guy would be embarrassed, he wouldn't leave. He says, he didn't say, whoever ate, please leave. I guess he couldn't go on. I don't know, maybe he wanted to teach us something. Whatever it is. Says the Gemara. Yatsa, uh, sorry. Ahmad Rabbi Hiya Veyatsa. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Hiya, the prize student of Rabbi, he got up and he left. When they saw Rabbi Hiya leaving, they know Rabbi Hiya would never do shipping. They understood what Rabbi Hiyah was doing. So they all walked out and they all left. Next day, Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi, says to Rabbi Hiyah, you ate, uh, you're the one who ate uh, Shu? You're the one who pained my father? He says, God forbid. I would come in to Shi'ur like that and pain your father? Don't you know I know better than that? But I didn't want to embarrass the guy. So he took the hit so that they don't embarrass the real guy. And everyone walked out with him. What a, what a beautiful story. Imagine, teacher says, who spoke? Who said that? And they all walk out. Don't, don't, don't try that in school. What, what a beauty. If it really came from a good place, that's a beautiful story. 
says the Gemara the most amazing words. Where did Rabbi Hiya learn this from? I don't know that I would ask this question. Rabbi Hiya learned it. I mean, it's a beautiful, he did a beautiful thing. Where did he learn it from? Why do you have to learn it? Says the Gemara, oh, he learned it from Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir says the Gemara one time, so not important what the exact details are, but bottom line, one time, a lady walked into the Bet Midrash with learning and she says she's screaming one of the people in this Bet Midrash he married me but not in such a nice way in an embarrassing way so Rabbi Meir took a piece of paper and he wrote her a get he says I Rabbi Meir I am divorcing this woman whatever her name is and he gives her a get in front of witnesses they all see Rabbi Meir is giving her a get. They know he wasn't the one that married her like that. So they all understood. So the whole yeshiva takes out a piece of paper. Each one writes a get to this woman. She walked out of the Bet Midrash with 500 gitin. What an unbelievable. Now 499 of them were a piece of paper that was worthless. If you get a get from someone who's not a husband, it doesn't mean anything. But one of them is a real get. But they didn't want to embarrass the person, so they all wrote a get. Rabbi Hiya learned what he did from Rabbi Meir. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Meir mehecha gamila. Who taught Rabbi Meir? How does he know he's supposed to do that? Says the Gemara, you know where he learned it from? Shmuel Katan. The great Shmuel Katan. Don't, don't be misled by the word Katan. Katan means he was a very humble, great man. What, what happened over there? Yemana says that one time Rabban Gamliel was gathering seven people. They need seven people in order to decide if they're going to add a month to the year. As you know, sometimes in the Jewish calendar, instead of 12 months, we have 13 months, like this year. We have an extra Adar. So the Beddin, and today we have it already set on a calendar. In those days, they would sit down formally, seven great people, and they would decide... If they should add a month to the year, they have certain considerations of why they should or they shouldn't. They invited seven people. Rabban Gamliel comes to this, uh, to this meeting. He sees eight matzah shmona. He says, Mi shehu Allah, mi hu Allah, Whoever came here uninvited, Yeret, please leave. We, we, can't, we can't do it. Amad Shmuel Katan Ve'amar. Shmuel Katan, he's the greatest one from them. He gets up and he leaves. As if he's the one not invited. When they see Shmuel Katan leaves, right? He says, Amad Shmuel Katan, sorry. He says, Amar lo. Rabban Gamliel sees him leaving. He says to him, Shev beni, Shev. Sit down. He says, All the years of Am Yisrael, you're fit to make the extra month for them. He says, I'm only able to do it with those who were invited. Bottom line, forget the details of the story. Shmuel Akatan took the hit for the person who really wasn't invited. 
as Gemara says. Umehamat kisufa He did it not to embarrass the person. And says the Gemara, and Shmuel Akatan, who told him he should do this? What did he learn this from? Basically, Gemara keeps going back from one to the other, till they hit Moshe Rabbeinu. They have a proof from Moshe Rabbeinu that he did something like this, and that is the source to do that. Amazing thing. When we read the story, we say, what do you mean? They're doing something nice. What's, what's the problem? They're taking the hit for their friend. What could be so bad? Maybe they thought of it. No, but taking a hit is not a nice thing for you, that people should be looking at you that way. Who says you should do that just to save somebody else? So they're looking for a source. That is the way of Amis. That, that, that's an example of a Gemara. Who told you? Where'd you get that from? The guy did the most beautiful thing. And he's being questioned and attacked. Where'd you get that from? Until they find a real source. By the way, you see two things in that story. Number one, you see that even etiquette and derecheretz, or something nice, you have to ask. You have to make sure it's something valid. And you see something else in that story. How come it says, he learned it from Rabbi Meir? He learned it from Shmuel Katan. How come it doesn't say they all learned it from Moshe Rabbeinu? If Moshe Rabbeinu is the source, why can't we just say they all learned from Moshe Rabbeinu? How come they each one quoted someone before them all the way to Moshe Rabbeinu? You see another Hidush in this Gemara. That even to learn what Moshe Rabbeinu said, you need a rabbi to help you. You need someone close to you to help you understand what Moshe Rabbeinu did. Which means you could learn what Moshe Rabbeinu did and totally misunderstand it. If you can get somebody close to you that can help you understand what he did, that is the way to do it. Anyway, bottom line is, that's what it means to live as a link to the chain. It's not just a flowery, beautiful description of someone who got lucky and became part of Am Yisrael. It's not like that. It's a person who understands, like our nation has understood, for 36, 3700 years. That if you want to succeed in life, especially as part of this great nation, before you do something, you ask. And when you do that, when you live your life like that, your children are going to ask, what did my mother do? What did my father do? You ever wonder, how come your children don't follow everything you do? It's probably because you don't follow what the people before you do. You didn't follow A, so they don't follow B. You don't follow C, you don't follow D. At one time I had a conversation with a young man in this community. He comes from a very nice family. They're having some trouble with him. He was a little bit going off in a certain area. So I sat with him. A beautiful boy. What an honest, beautiful boy. I told him, you know, you have a family. Look at your family. Look at what they, look, look at your grandpa. Look at your great-grandpa. Look at this. Why do you want to leave all that? Why, why do you want to throw that away? He said, I'll tell you around the truth. My parents, I know they have a claim on me that I'm not doing what they do. But let me just tell you something. They also don't do what their parents do. They do this. They do that. They do that. Now, all of a sudden, they come to me and they're wondering why I don't do. You have to know that. You want, you, you want 
We want so badly that our children, we want so badly that our children should take our advice. We have a lot of good advice for them. Look at your little five-year-old or 15-year-old. You have a lot of good advice for them. Even if you're not so smart, but you have good advice for them. You have experience. But if you're not doing the same to your horim, to the people before you, if that's not what your Shabbat table looks like, you know how many times, I'll just tell you my own Shabbat table. Sometimes my kids ask a question for years. They ask a question, so what do you, what, what's the halakha in this case? And sometimes I actually know the halakha. But often I'll say, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure, sure. I'm going to go ask the rabbi tomorrow. I'm going to see what he says about the subject. My children should hear that before I answer a question, I consult. Should we go on vacation during this time? It's not a, you're going to miss school. You're going to miss this. You know what? Let me ask if it's the right thing to do. What, what better gift can I give my children that wherever they are in life, no matter what age they're in, no matter what they're involved in, that before they do, they ask. But how do I get that? By telling them? No, it's not going to work. When you live life by asking the horim, your children will also ask the horim. That is the great opportunity and the great life of a Jew. That's why every Amida, Elohenu, Never going to succeed in our relationship with the Creator of the world. Unless, not actually with any relationship, marriage or with Him, unless we are clearly looking to Avotenu. What is it that they would do in this situation? And that will be tremendous siyata dashmaya and success for us. Hashem shall bless you all with siyata dashmaya. Baruch Allah le'olam. Amen ve'amen.